Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, July 17th. Our Cracked Rackets team getting ready to head on the road once again this weekend as we head to Cincinnati, Ohio for the latest iteration of the Cracked Rackets Open. Our CEO, Dalton Thieneman, seems to have found something he loves to do, and that is hosting tournaments for all of those tennis players out there who miss that competitive environment, who are looking for a safe, a healthy place for them, you know, a well-protected, well-regulated, well-run event for them to make their returns to competitive tennis. And thankfully, our team at Cracked Rackets has been able to provide that, uh, I should say, have been able to provide that a couple of times thus far throughout uh, this COVID-19 pandemic, throughout this quarantine period. We were fortunate enough to get to host two Cracked Rackets open events in Indianapolis. Both of them, thankfully, have gone on without a hitch, and that, you know, we owe a lot of credit, mostly to all the players and parents on site for being so willing to follow our safety guidelines, all these parents being so willing to wear a mask, all these players following the safety and health protocols, whether it be, you know, the little things like instead of picking up a ball that rolls onto their court, using their rackets to hit the ball back over to their to that other court, or whether it be, you know, really being disciplined about we're giving all of these players uh, four balls, two for each server, so they have their own two balls to serve with. Uh, all of those little things, social distance on the changeovers, you know, not having everyone hang out on site. And of course, for so many of these players, that's the inclination, right? Your reflex is to, when you're at the site, of the tournament, hang out at the tournament site, hang out with your fellow tennis players, some of whom may be from your hometown, some of whom you get so used to seeing on the road week in, week out, that they become some of your closest friends. And of course, you know, given what we are all going through, uh, hosting these events, we have to do them in heightened, uh, you know, with heightened safety and heightened precautions in mind. And of course, we go above and beyond. And so, you know, a huge shout out to all those players. Of course, that being said, we are still so excited to get over to St. X. St. Xavier's School in Cincinnati for this weekend's event. We've got, I think, something 80-plus players signed up between the men's and the women's open singles and doubles. It's it's going to be a lot of fun, and as I mentioned, it's quite clear Dalton Thieneman has found his niche. He is all in on hosting these events, and so as long as we can continue to do them in a safe and healthy fashion, that seems to be what we are going to continue to do here at Crack Rackets. Of course, we don't want to leave all of you listeners hanging, though, because there are so many storylines, so many hot topics, and big questions still surrounding not just, you know, the tennis world, the, the world in general, but of course, the return of sanctioned ATP, WTA, ITF events in the during the 2020 calendar year. Of course, we've also seen the return of world team tennis and so many of our favorite professional players gathering at the Greenbrier in West Virginia. World team tennis CEO, Carlos Silva, you know, putting on a world-class event, demonstrating, you know, across the sporting spectrum, really just across the globe, that sports uh, can return if done in a safe and healthy fashion, if precautionary measures are taken, if everyone goes above and beyond to ensure 
that the event can happen if people are accountable to one another, if people show some responsibility. Uh, it shows that pro sports can return safely, and so that's what Carlos and the team at World Team Tennis have been doing. Uh, of course, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of the Tennis One app coverage of World Team Tennis, the Tennis One app, the official partner of the World Team Tennis season, and you know they have their CrowdView One experience, which is while watching a World Team Tennis match, you have the stream live, and then it's like a big Zoom group chat. It's a big chat room and they pick moderators. I happen to be the moderator for this morning's 11 a.m. match. I happen to know I will be doing more moderating next week, and it hasn't just been me, you know, not to draw comparisons between the two, but I know Sabine Lasicki was the moderator earlier. I know Steve Weissman's taken a turn. Uh, You know, so many different people. Randy Master, who we had on our podcast, chief content officer of the Tennis One app, so many others. I saw Rachel Stuhlman on the app earlier today as well. It's a really fun feature, and it's not something I think has ever been tried uh, before in the professional tennis realm. It's it's a group chat, and it was a ton of fun. I think we had about 30, 40 people in the early going today. It was a rotating cast, but it was delightful. And so if that's something that might interest you, I implore you, go download the Tennis One app. Uh, again, you go scroll down to the bottom of the app. You click the white Tennis One app logo. It stands out, and you're able to jo- uh, join CrowdView uh, One. Uh, Crowd One View, CrowdView One. I apologize. You know, the nomenclature, the naming, that's still unclear on that, but I can say I'm quite clear in saying it was a delightful experience, and I'm so thankful that the Tennis One app team continues to turn to our Cracked Rackets team uh, to collaborate. Of course, we had uh, Tennis One app owner, uh, Bleacher CEO, uh, Kristen Gear on the Great Shot podcast yesterday, and it was really one of my most delightful conversations, not only of 2020, but maybe we've ever done on the podcast talking about the future of the game, what the modern tennis fan experience should look like compared to what it does look like, you know, the plans for the Tennis One app, whether we think tennis can return safely in 2020. Uh, it's an exceptional conversation you don't want to miss, so be sure to go check out the Great Shot podcast uh, episode, of course, yesterday on our Getting to the Point episode with our friend from Aerobar. We had Princeton men's tennis head coach Billy Pate, who, of course, former coach of Alabama, Notre Dame, uh, National Junior College head coaching champion as well, and a former Division I player, too. Uh, so a bunch of great conversations here at Cracked Rackets. Uh, of course, we want to, again, cover all of the storylines because there are so many, and we don't want to leave you hanging. We, of course, still have so many great conversations we recorded while in Miami, in Nicholasville, Kentucky, for a couple of high-level ATP and WTA exhibition events. So be on the lookout for all of those videos either on our YouTube channel or the interviews in podcast form on our Cracked Interviews feed. Uh, but of course, you know, beyond the World Team Tennis, I do want to say Mark Lucero, who's doing the play-by-play commentary, or at least some of it, uh, for the World Team Tennis season, already have him scheduled to come on to the podcast early next week. Uh, so we're going to be breaking down the World Team Tennis in a little bit more depth early next week, as I mentioned. Also going to start a new daily Great Shot podcast segment through the rest of the World Team Tennis season. As as you know, our Great Shot podcast sponsored by our friends at DraftKings. It's time to rust, you know, shake off the rust of our tennis gambling chops. We want to, you know, have a little bit of fun with this World Team Tennis season, get warmed up before the return of ATP WTA ITF action. And so Kale Hammond, Max Rothman, and I are going to do a little bit of a betting segment on this World Team Tennis season. Again, title TBD, uh, but we're really looking forward to that, and that'll be daily starting next week. So expect a lot more World Team Tennis content uh, from us here at Cracked Rackets. I say content 
not just superficial conversations because or not I shouldn't say not superficial conversations not conversations about world team tennis as an organization but the actual tennis we're seeing the results we've seen from this 2020 world team tennis season we're going to start getting into all of that in much more depth next week of course something else that continues to become clearer and clearer and the subject of today's mini break podcast the financial implications in the tennis world for, from this global uh, pandemic from COVID-19 of course we continue to learn more details such as China announcing the cancellation of all international sporting events through uh, the remainder of the 2020 year outside of the, the uh, Olympic trials. So that means, you know, no tennis event. Pretty much the entire month of November for the WTA wiped off the calendar. No year-end finals in Shenzhen. Of course, we also learned uh, uh, the first wave of uh, American entities in the tennis world. Excuse me, voice crack there. I guess I'm hitting puberty. Um, American entities in the tennis world uh, who took uh, PPP loans from the, the government. Of course, that was part of the CARES Act, part of uh, the coronavirus aid package passed by the United States government. And those PPP loans, I believe, the uh, pay uh, the protection program. I, I forget what the, the something protection program anyways. Uh, I will re- remember the first P as we go along here. Uh, but the point being, uh, you know, we learned which, you know, entities from throughout the tennis uh, world took uh, the uh, took PPP loans, took those opportunities to uh, the Paycheck Protection Program. Thank you. I knew the first P. There it is. Paycheck Protection Program. Leave all of that in Westoff. Uh, we learned which tennis entities, whether it be you know Tony Godsick, Roger Federer's uh, agency, whether it be uh, the USTA, or you know it's hard to figure out how many. If you know, because certainly there were many local tennis clubs throughout the uh, country that took PPP loans as well to help their you know coaches, help all of their employees in a time when you couldn't teach tennis indoors in particular, uh, but we start to learn about all that information. We looked, well, we wanted to, you know, how those PPP loans affect the state of tennis, if any tournaments wanted to take any of that. Of course, I also want to talk about the ongoing state of merger discussions between the ATP and WTA. How prevalent are those discussions? You know, how have the impact of of this global pandemic revealed maybe some of the shortcomings for both of these organizations and demonstrated why a long-term partnership, merger, whatever the the nomenclature may be of that partnership between the ATP and WTA makes sense for both of their long-term futures. And of course, there's no better person I could think of to talk about all of those subjects with than our guest today, Sports Business Journal's Brett McCormick. Of course, Brett, a returning guest here to our Cracked Records podcast, him and the team at the Sports Business Journal. This is what they do. They've been on top of this story from the beginning. He and Dave Broughton uh, wrote an excellent piece, $665 million in PPP loan saves. 36,000 jobs. And on a day when I believe we learned 1.3 million more Americans filed for unemployment over the past month, uh, again, this is as prevalent of a story as ever. Of course, you know, life, this, the impact of this global pandemic extends far beyond the tennis world and it's impacting all of our lives in so many different ways. But, you know, Brett offers fascinating insight into how it's affected the sporting world. And so that is going to be the topic of our conversation today. That was a long introduction. I apologize about that. Again, I think I was only on too many breaks this week. And for me, I feel like I'm missing out. I feel like I haven't had the chance to talk to you listeners. So hello, listeners. How are you doing today? I hope you are all holding up well. I hope all of your spirits are still raised. Know that we here at Cracked Rackets uh, continue to feel positive, continue to feel enthusiastic. I don't know if you've learned this about me. Uh, I think that's probably one of my strengths and my one of my weaknesses. You know, uh, some have acute—well, 
No, I can take things seriously. We'll see. I get defensive as well. I've often been accused of being sensitive, and I think that's a fair charge, and that charge usually comes from my older brother when he's prying me along in ways only he can, but you know, my dad will also say it too, and then I'll say, Dad, look who's talking, uh, because I get a lot of my quirky traits from him personality-wise. As I always say, all of the admirable traits I get from my mother, all of the ones you may not like as much, I certainly get from him. Anyways, all of that is to say we hope you are all holding up. We hope you are all doing well. If any of you during this time period feel like you need to chat or you have issues on your mind or you just want someone to pick you up, again, there is nothing I do better in my opinion, look at me praising myself again, that ego, uh, probably another one of my flaws. Anyways, this is not a reflection period for me. What I am trying to say is, should any of you need a goofy laugh, uh, you know, a little stupid comment, please, please, please uh, feel free to slide into my DMs. Feel free to reach out to us here at Crack Records. Again, there's nothing I think we do more than provide that little stupid laugh, provide that little humor, provide that escape from you from the stresses of your daily life. And of course, the reason we are able to do that day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast is because of the support we get from our friends, uh, one of whom, of course, is Midwest Sports. And for more than 30 years, Midwest Sports has served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers by offering a comprehensive selection of fast-shipping tennis supplies that few retailers can match. They also have one of the largest in-stock inventories of tennis equipment online with tens of thousands of products available for shipping directly from their automated warehouse to your front door. They value innovation and have personally tailored their products to highlight your skills on the court. Their well-trained staff are also intimately familiar with tennis equipment and can help you find that perfect racket, perfect shoe, or perfect clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. Their selections of equipment are consistently first to market, and they pride themselves in stocking their warehouse with the newest products at the lowest prices. You can find all of those products, all of those prices, anything you need in the tennis world by going to their website, MidwestSports.com. Once you're there, obviously, you're going to want to upgrade your gear. And once you do, know that you can save an additional 15% by using our promo code CR15. Not only will you get that 15% off, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, of course, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Midwest Sports wants to ensure you have everything you need to make your return to the tennis court a successful one. So go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Of course, having the right gear, having the right equipment, making sure you're well-equipped to succeed on the court is part one of the battle. Part two, making sure your body is right, making sure you have the right sort of nutrition, you've taken care of your fitness so that you can perform your best out on the court, and nothing will give you that sort of nutritional boost, that sort of energy start you need, the right way to start your day uh, better than our friends at Aero Barn. Of course, delicious chocolate chip, delicious cinnamon honey oat. Uh, It's the only tennis-specific energy bar out there, and it's made with good stuff. More potassium than a banana. No junk sugars, you know. The chocolate chips in there are the right sort of chocolate you want in your recovery process. It's not that process to garbage. Uh, it's the good stuff. And I, you know, again, when we were on the road for 10 days, every morning, I'd go on my run and the reason I was able to get through it, regardless of how little sleep I was getting, was because I had an AeroBar, that right sort of energy boost to start my day. So go to AeroBar.com, use the promo code CR, uh, CRACKED15, you'll get 15% off your order, but more importantly, you'll get that right sort of breakfast alternative, that right sort of pick-me-up snack you need, regardless of if you're playing your tennis or not, aerobar.com. The promo code is CRACKED15. All right, 
with that being said, that was quite the intro, and I do apologize for that, but you are, I, I promise you, sincerely, you are going to enjoy our conversation. So without further ado, here's my conversation on the intricacies of the financial impact of this global COVID-19 pandemic with Sports Business Journal's Brett McCormick. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast today is a returning guest, and folks, let me just say, there have been a lot of moving pieces throughout the tennis world over these past four to five months, whether it be the fact, is there going to be player relief funds? Are we going to see an ATP-WTA merger? Are we going to see, you know, all of these different financial implications of this COVID-19 pandemic, and no one has been on top of the story more than our guest today, as I mentioned, returning guest here to our Crack Rackets podcast. You, of course, know him as a general assignment and tennis reporter at Sports Business Journal. Brett McCormick. Brett, welcome back to the show. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. Thank you for having me, and uh, glad we can all wake up together. (laughs) It will always be a pleasure to have you on the show. I have to ask before we get into anything, the newborn is now, what, six, seven, eight months? How's life as, again, early parenthood? Four four months. Four four months. months Yesterday, yeah. No, it only, um, in 2020 years they uh they double <laughs> yeah. so it feels like eight months but um no she's great thank you for asking um no. she's actually in uh daycare which is a little nerve-wracking but um allowing us to work um and actually work <laughs> so yeah. um that's that's that has been interesting that's we're two weeks into that so um, no, I, I can only imagine. I feel like four months is right when, as a young child, they, they start to become more aware, um, but certainly they also start to become a little bit more work as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, like she's starting to, her teeth are starting to uh, <laughs> make some noise. So that's she's been a little fussier than normal. But no, she's great. That's been a great distraction, yeah. I guess. Um, during yeah. everything that's going on, she she was born March fifteenth, so she's like as old as the American edition of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, I mean that's one way to frame it, certainly. But yeah. I am so happy to hear again that she's continuing to do well. And you know, again, the the reason we wanted to have you on the show today is because there have been so many different moving pieces, especially when you look at the financials uh, of the professional tennis world, of course, the financials and the impact of this pandemic across the broader sporting world. But I just kind of wanted to have you on today to go through a rundown of some of the biggest topics, some of the biggest storylines we have heard throughout uh, the professional tennis world, really the tennis world in general over the past couple of months. And I think the place we have to start today is the fact that, you know, the first round of PPP loans given out by the U.S. government and whom they were given to, how much money was given, uh, that information was finally disclosed, and I know you wrote a piece on it that is available at Sports Business. You go to sportsbusinessdaily.com. Uh, the article title, 66, uh, $665 million in PPP loans saved 36 
36,000 jobs. Uh, that is a byline I believe you share with David Broughton. Uh, so let, let's just start there. In 665 million in PPP loans uh, to the sporting industry. Realistically, did you expect that number to be higher or lower? Uh, I think it is higher because so a quick um, uh, rundown on the data. Um, they gave there were f- like five million loans were given out. So um, it it was it is quite a spreadsheet, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's actually multiple spreadsheets. So they split it into companies that got more than one hundred fifty thousand dollars are in one sheet that's about six hundred something thousand loans, and those those companies got have identifying characteristics like for example their name um if a company received less than one hundred fifty thousand dollars, they did not include their name so we didn't even really go through that sheet which is the bulk of the loans um Mm -hmm. and so that's probably like where you would see a lot of tennis clubs um you know tennis nonprofits, probably um in that sheet so this we really didn't even go through all of it which would have been basically impossible because you would have had to do detective work on each of the ones that you thought might be (laughs) um something to do with sports so this is this is really the um for that's from the uh companies that or the sports properties that received 150,000 or more um and so yeah the you know there's been a lot of negativity around the ppp um which stands for the paycheck protection program and and some of it very justified you know there's been some companies and and individuals that got loans that you know probably did not need it um and there's plenty of companies that did not get loans that definitely needed it so there's been a lot of um kind of negativity around the program but i think for the sports industry it was a good thing obviously um the sports industry has been hit as hard as probably any uh industry except maybe you know day-to-day restaurants bars um movie theaters, you know, uh, places like that. So, um, 36,000 jobs is, is pretty, is pretty impressive when you add them up. And I'm sure it's more than that, you know, if, if we had the uh, totality of, of all of the loans, but, um, but you know, that, that's something that, that to be kept in mind because that had a huge impact. We've heard from a lot of companies that said, you know, this helped us prevent furloughs or even at worst, um, push furloughs back, um, you know, like delay them at least. Uh, and really, a lot of this money has run out or been used. Uh, and, and so they're talking right now. I know, um, you know, in uh, Congress, they're talking about extending unemployment, um, extra unemployment benefits for individuals. And, and I have to think that there will be another round of something similar to PPP coming up because, um, you know, obviously our country has not handled the pandemic well and it's going to go longer than I think anybody wanted or, or thought it would. Uh, so. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was really interesting to go through and see some of the, the, uh, organizations that receive money. And, um, you know, I can give you a rundown of some of the tennis ones. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely want to hear that. I just, you know, to follow up on something you said, uh, as you mentioned, this $665 million number, uh, it doesn't include, you can only imagine, you know, I I grew up at a place called the Sports Club of West Bloomfield, right? And when you hear a Mm -hmm. title like the Sports Club, it doesn't jump out that tennis is the sport it focuses on or whatever. Uh, So yeah, it becomes that much harder to find that information. But, you know, certainly, again, the the Paycheck Protection Program, as you mentioned, was part of the CARES Act, the Coronavirus Mm -hmm. Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act. And yeah, we don't have to get into the politics, the maneuvering of the Senate. Do they have the 51 votes or 50 votes they need, I suppose? 
Astros plus Mike Pence uh, to get some sort of program down and what that program will look like. Will it be as fruitful, I suppose, as the first uh, iteration of the CARES Act? We don't have to get into that now, I promise. I'm not going to ask for your thoughts like, oh, uh, I wonder if Martha McSally facing re-election is going to give a more (laughs) beneficial thing. You know, we're not going to do that on a podcast today, folks. Don't worry about that. But, you know, as you mentioned, unless you want to, I guess, Brett, you know, it's 9 a.m. on a a Thursday. We could get away with some stuff. But, Um, you know, yeah, yeah. in general, um, you know, again, to start getting specific because we want to focus on the tennis here. And I'm looking at the chart. And by the way, again, it's a fantastic article. If nothing else, if this is a topic that interests you listeners, go check it out. And you you and, and the team have been on top of it, again, this story the entire time. But you look at tennis and the uh, the amount of properties in tennis that were able to get uh, these high-level PPP loans. And in the article, it says there were seven entities uh, in tennis that got $150,000 or more. What you know, Can you tell us what those entities were? Yeah, and actually, it's it's more than that. Like I found, I found more after the article ran. I mean, we 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 could have, if we looked at it every day since that story ran, we would have found more. Um, <laughs> and so you know, so because some of it is just based on how they do their names. So like, real quick, to to search this spreadsheet um, was a bit of a bear. And so two things that we did was one, there's this thing called an NAICS code. I don't even know what that stands for, but it, it's basically this coding system that is used, I think, for tax purposes or, or small business administration purposes or something. Um, but basically, the code is a category. And so, you know, we started, the first category we searched was, you know, um, spectator sports, you know, and so the, we created a list from that. And then we started going through other stuff. And then another way we searched um, speaks to the point you brought up was, you know, typing in tennis, football, mm-hmm. soccer, you know, things like that. And so, um, and so, again, this list is not exhaustive. That That's, like, important to for people to know because, I mean, to to get the complete list, I mean, I would say is almost impossible because, you know, a lot of these companies will list themselves in a weird way or, um, you know, will uh, go by the like holding company that owns them, you know, that, that doesn't sound like the team or whatever or league. So, um, but some of the, uh, some of the tennis entities that got loans, I mean, you can start with uh, one that's uh, active right now is world team tennis. Uh, they got 350, uh, $355,000, um, which saved 13 jobs and also went to administrative uses. And Carlos Silva told me that, uh, you know, that really helped them. That that took one concern off their list, you know, uh, which was probably a substantial list as they were trying to figure out, you know, can we have the season uh, watching everything that was going on with the ATP and WTA? Of course, you know, World Team Tennis was in a better situation because it's you know, all in one, within one border, um, you know, within one area. And so they're kind of able to create a bubble, but um, the 355 helped them, you know, cover a couple of payrolls or payrolls for 10 weeks. And so that was something that was off their plate and they could focus on, um, you know, trying to organize the league in the safest way possible. So um, I thought that one was like a good, uh, that's probably one of the higher profile um, successes for tennis, you know, and, and, Consider consider this too. There were there not a lot of tennis entities um, that have to do with the ATP or, or WTA that are based in the U.S. So a lot of mm-hmm. these are are you know not going to be like major headline operations. Um, uh, another one that kind of uh, got some interest on Twitter was Team Eight, uh, the agency that uh, Roger Federer founded with Tony Godsick, um, which represents uh, Coco Gauff among others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know I had put. Uh, tweeted <laughs> that they received a 
loan, you know, just kind of like, a, oh, hey, you know, they've received a loan. <laughs> um, and uh, it got, you know, that, that created a lot of feedback on um, people saying that, you know, Roger Federer is wealthy enough that he probably didn't need a loan. And that led Tony Godsick to call me while I was sitting on my couch and say that they had actually returned the loan. So, um, so that, that leads me to another point about this data is it only said, well, it's, it had about nine columns of which probably four were useful. Um, and <laughs> it only, it only said when a company was approved for a loan, how much they were approved for, which it gave in a range. It didn't give a specific number. Uh, and then the estimated number of jobs that would be impacted. So it never said it, it didn't say if a company um, kept the money, if they spent it or if they gave it back. So we actually had a few um, organizations that reached out to us afterwards that were like, hey, we we gave the money back. And um, some of them reached out because they're nonprofits and they wanted to make sure they didn't want to have problems with their um, status. tax tax status. Exactly. And then teammate, you know, some of the other ones, I think it was more of a. Um, uh, their their public image, and so teammate gave its gave its loan back. Um, and and really, that speaks to there were a lot of accountants, I think, for these sports organizations that said, you know, and, and for companies in general across the country that said, you know, uh, apply for the loan, get the money, and and then figure it out, you know, because it was a bit of a uh, there was so much uncertainty when this was coming out, you know, around early April, <clears throat> and um, nobody knew what was going to come over the horizon, and so I think there was. A lot of companies that just went ahead and grabbed the money, you know, got the loan, um, and then kind of figured out what to do. Which uh, I don't, you know, I don't blame anybody for doing that. It's it's a very uncertain time for business owners, so you know, I, I would withhold uh, moral judgments on, on doing that. That's probably sound business uh, practice, honestly. So um, another one was uh, ten, the Tennis Hall of Fame in Rhode Island. They got a loan mm-hmm. between uh, three hundred fifty thousand and a million bucks. Um, that helped save 48 jobs, uh, which was probably crucial this year because the, you know, their Hall of Fame Open got canceled. That's a big, um, big moneymaker for them. Um, and, and they're a nonprofit. So, uh, you know, I think um, going to be a fundraising drive for them at some point this year to try to, you know, make up some of this. Todd Martin had told me earlier in the year that, you know, they would be OK if they canceled their tournament. Um, but, you know, definitely going to going to take a hit. And hopefully this, you know, hopefully this loan kind of helped um, uh, dull that hit a little bit. Um, Another interesting one was um, the Washington Tennis and Education Foundation. Uh, mm-hmm. They got a loan between 150 and 350. They are the uh, uh, charitable beneficiary of the City Open. So um, hopefully this will help them, you know, have a year that's somewhat close to normal because the City Open, you know, will be held. And again, revenue is not going to be what it normally is, but, you know, the, the tournament will still be held. So they'll still be able to get something out of it. Um, and, uh, that's a, that's an organization worth looking up if you're a, if you're, you know, a tennis supporter, uh, they work with inner city kids, um, kind of exposing them to the game and, and also doing like after school care and stuff like that so that they're, you know, not running around and they've got somewhere safe and, um, good to be. So good organization. That That's the kind of group you really like, you know, like to see getting this sort of money. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you there. And to your point, I mean, 
Look, I, you're absolutely right. Now is not the time to uh, reserve a moral judgment on these companies for applying for a loan in the first place because I think what we have all learned is what through this global pandemic, uncertainty has reigned amongst all of us, yeah. right? You you never right. know uh, if, if A, things are going to open up over the next four weeks or if they do open up over the next four weeks as we saw in some states. Well, now we have to close back up because there was a spike in cases. And so, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I know – you know, my mom runs, a, and she's an OB-GYN. She runs her practice. She got PPP loans because she wanted to keep her employees during this time because for the first three months, they couldn't do any uh, gynecology work. It was all OB. It was only the patients who absolutely needed to be seen. And so, yeah, to reserve, if to, to judge any of these companies for applying for a loan in the first place, uh, I agree with you. I think that's a little bit ridiculous. Now, it is fascinating to, to go back a little bit. That teammate, that Tony Gottsick, What? so you're sitting on the, fo- on the couch there. I'm a man. Imagining with your <laughs> yeah. daughter, you guys are playing a little bit, and what you see a call from a number. I think it's going to be a Cleveland, Ohio Cleveland. number, and you're like, "Huh, <laughs> yeah. I wonder if this is yeah. Tony Godsick." Yeah, right after I tweeted it, so it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> and my wife was like, "Who's that?" I was like, "It was Roger Federer's agent." <laughs> she, <laughs> she started laughing. Um, yeah, no, no, she's no, probably no. like Brett. I she's like Brett. Uh, you're, you're looking very good right now. She's like, "That's yeah, Roger Federer's agent." You look, yeah, you're looking yeah. nice. Um. But no, I, th- I think that speaks to the uh, the delicate uh, <laughs> imagery ar- around the PPP program. You know, I, I think um, a lot of people don't want to be associated with a handout, um, mm-hmm. even though I think this is the year to <laughs> not feel that way if you ever felt that way. But <laughs> but we, you know, we got that response. We got all kinds of responses. You know, we reached out for the for the um, story on the general sports industry. We reached out to loads and loads of uh teams leagues companies um and there were a lot of them that didn't want to didn't really want to talk about it um you know for whatever reason you know it's not mm-hmm. not exactly clear but you, you kind of think that it's that it's um they just don't want to be associated with with uh government money you know um one way or another maybe it's not a look that they feel is uh or or, or maybe it suggests that they're struggling or something like that you know i don't know it's a, it's a financial thing which a lot of companies won't talk about anyway but um, no, I thought I thought that was interesting because that tweet was up maybe I don't know, maybe thirty minutes or maybe an hour, and uh, and I got that call. And I, I've never talked to him before. I've talked to a few people at Teammate, but they're they don't even have a PR um, a person or a PR agency, so they're they're kind of tricky to get in touch yeah, no. with. Um, I, but, I feel like they, they they feel like they don't need it. They're like, ah, they'll come to us. We have Roger. Yeah, no, I'm I'm sure that's how they feel, but uh, they they yeah. definitely can find you when uh, when the time is right. Yeah. Which that also that also one of them, one or two of them would have my number, but th- that was the immediate thought. Like, whoa, how did he get my number? <laughs> um, no, but, I mean if you're if you're in tennis, Tony Godzik can find you. I've learned that. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, and then there were a couple others I can tell you real fast. Um, mm-hmm. These were tough to find, but there were there were uh, a handful of USTA sections that looked like they got loans. Um, and I just tallied that up this morning and that was, um, saved at least 220 jobs. Um, you had the Pacific Northwest had the most with 67, but some big ones on there, Texas, Northern California, Southern Cal, which is a really big one. Um, they all got between, uh, 350,000 and a million. And you can imagine those are important this year because I'm sure their, uh, funding is down. Uh, you know, the USDA is doing a lot of rearranging and cutting, mm-hmm. um, Another one, one of the ones that got the uh, the most from um, what, as far as I could tell, was the New York Junior Tennis League. I didn't know much about that, but uh, it's a nonprofit, and 
they saved 340 jobs uh, with the loan that they got that was between two and five million. So I can only imagine that's a uh, monster uh, youth tennis league in New York. I don't, I'm not quite sure if it's the state of New York or just the, um, or just the city, but uh, that was one of the ones that got the most. Um, Intercollegiate Tennis Coaches Association, they got a loan. Uh, Ginepri Tennis Incorporated got a loan. That's his uh, tennis academy down there in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And um, Babel Lot, their uh, North American branch, also got a loan. Uh, but didn't say how many jobs they saved. So yeah, um, no, yeah, kind of kind of all over the place in the industry of uh, of the sport of tennis. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. Is it's clearly it's not just you know the the things you haven't really. I guess the specific thing I expected you to say more of because you know the last time when we spoke about this, we talked about how the prospects of playing events with no fans, how that seemed to be the only possible reality for tournaments to get going again in uh, this twenty twenty calendar year. And now, obviously, sir circumstances have changed and you know it does seem like we're going to get an ATP WTA swing in Europe at the very least of course we did learn that China's canceling all international events uh, sporting events for the remainder of the 2020 calendar and so the influence of that on the WTA obviously profound financial impact that was also their entirety of I think the November schedule and so you know, the the impact of that decision to cancel something we're still going to be examining moving forward. But something you and I haven't talked about much on today's podcast, I'm surprised to hear, you know, events such as Winston-Salem or, you know, I guess Delray Beach already played this year. So in theory, because it was earlier yeah. in the calendar, but places like Indian Wells, Miami, did it surprise you to not see more individual tournament entities, I suppose, on the higher end PPP uh, loan scale? Sort of, but there may be an explanation for that. So one of the <clears throat> one of the other requirements was company had to have 500 or less employees, mm-hmm. and so right there you could take out any tournaments that are owned by like Octagon or IMG. Um, and then Indian Wells is a is a is an interesting one. I hadn't really thought about them, but then other ones I think are going to have an association with the USDA. Like for example, Cincinnati, um, which is playing this year, but um, you know, in a, in a weird uh, modified way. Um, but their, you know, ownership is Octagon and the USTA. So I don't, I don't, I'm almost certain that the USTA has more than 500 employees. But I, I didn't see them in the loan. They were one of the first ones I looked for. But um, Winston Salem is owned by or is you know run by like a nonprofit group. Uh, like mm-hmm. I think it's called Winston Salem Tennis. Um, I did not see them in there. Um, but that's a that's a very good question. I mean, and that may have come through. Don Flo is the guy that runs that. He's got Flo Automotive. He's like mm-hmm. a big um, uh, automotive, like uh, car sales in North Carolina. Um, so it, he may have gotten something through that. But um, no, that's a good question. I mean, I didn't see anybody else. Um, I'm almost certain that uh, GF Sports got a PPP loan. They own the. Uh, the truest Atlanta open and the New York open, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> which would have helped with Atlanta. You know, they were fortunately able to play their tournament in long Island, but, um, and then, like you said, Del Rey played, um, Mubadala classic is owned by IMG. Um, trying to think the Albany open, which didn't get a lot of publicity, um, was, was a new tournament this year, uh, backed by Jerry Solomon, who runs this thing called the Aurora games, which is like all women's kind of Olympic type thing. Um, this this was supposed to be its first year, and they they canceled. So 
you know, I, I'm not sure what um, he would have received a loan if he received a loan, like what kind of entity it would have been under. Um, you know, some, some of this stuff is just the ownership is murky enough that it's uh, mm-hmm. unless you like really know what you're looking for. It's kind of hard to kind of hard to uh, run down, you know, if somebody specifically got one. But yeah, that's a that's a good point. I mean, I, I didn't really see any any uh, specific tournaments themselves um, get get loans. Yeah, and again, the reason I ask is because part of the conversation we had last time was can these tournaments uh, survive the financial impact of not mm-hmm. having their event run this year or having an event? I think the number was right in ATP 250. It's like 12% of their revenue comes from TV. It's it's If you're making yeah. 12% of the revenue, obviously, uh, that's going to make things very difficult for you from a tournament perspective. But again... You know these the numbers you guys have the six hundred sixty five million going to the sporting industry it's saving thirty six thousand jobs and that's just the higher end more notable loans it speaks to the fact that you know there are again these loans are going to help the sport survive and in a time when I think the number today was one point three million people again filed for unemployment over this past month uh, the fact that we can save thirty six thousand plus jobs by facilitating these loans I think they're doing their job now uh, another point you made earlier uh, a more prominent thing you know the first I suppose return of sanctioned play and you want to say world team tennis isn't quite the ATP or WTA ITF tours that's fine that can be your perspective but and I'm not saying yours, Brett. I'm saying to fans in general. general. Um, yeah. But mm-hmm. yeah, but you know, uh, for World Team Tennis, and you sort of mentioned it there, uh, the fact that they are now going, the fact that they are now, uh, you know, uh, able to play the league this year and have all these safety and health uh, precautions in place. Uh, you said, you know, you spoke to Carlos Silva. They, they were able to do that because of these PPP loans that were facilitated to them, right? And then financially, because they're able to play the season this year, uh, that that's going to help the, the league uh, instrumentally in the long term, right? Yeah, for sure. Think about like um, I'm trying to think of like an analogy. Also, real fast, I didn't even mention. I mean, I'm looking at a sheet that um, I searched in the the overall PPP sheet and just typed in mm-hmm. tennis. Um, I mean, there's at least at least a hundred, maybe two hundred tennis clubs on here. Um, you know, of that course. are that are smaller. Yeah, and and that's like you said, without even knowing the ones that don't have tennis in the name. Um, mm-hmm. So. This goes all the way to the, to the to the very grassroots of the sport. So, um, and so if you look at like World Team Tennis, for example, this is like uh, if they're trying to cross like this river, you know, that is the pandemic, and not get like swept away and you know sucked downstream and thrown over a waterfall. Like the PPP can be like a like a big sturdy rock in the middle of that river. They jump on that, and then they get to the other side, and the other side is having their season. Um, which while they're not going to, you know, reap the revenue that they normally might, um, you know, in some cases they may have done a little better because their TV situation was better this year because there's not as much stuff going on. You know, I think they were more desirable, uh, product because simply the lack of other sports, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> yeah. um, so they may have, I don't know how I, I have no idea how much they would have made up, but I have a feeling and this would be something good to ask them if, when I talk to them next, like what were you able to make up TV wise that you probably wouldn't have in a normal year when there were so many things going on. Remember they would have been playing right now against the Olympics. So I, I highly doubt their ratings would have been very good in a normal year. Um, and so uh, this in a way, you know, is like an inadvertent um, boost for them. So I think their, their TV money is going to help them out a little bit. They are going to get 
a small amount of ticket sales, you know, I, I, I don't think it's going to be much to write home about, but more, more than a lot of sports are going to get. Uh, so, yeah. so it looked right. at it as like a, it's a, it's a launch pad to, for them to be able to keep going, you know, and that's really what the PPP is supposed to, that's what it's supposed to do is, is to get you through. The problem is we didn't, uh, do a good enough job with the pandemic. And so it's still going. And so there's probably going to have to be another round. Mm-hmm. Well, this gets back to Martha McSally, right? Where we started, <laughs> Old right? Martha, uh, yeah. Yeah. So we're right. Uh, we've gone full circle. No, I completely agree to you. I'm also curious because I've asked and I've been gently prodded towards numbers, but you also have to remember whenever you're talking to someone invested in the league, you're talking to them about, there's always going to be a grain of salt that you have to take with their answers. There's always going to be, and I apologize for swearing, but an element of bullshit to their answer, of course. But I'm curious what you're hearing on this as well, because the added expenses of facilitating play right now, the fact that, you know, for the USTA, and by the way, I have another follow-up, the fact that it's not the USTA central hub, but it's USTA. Midwest or USTA New York or USTA Southeast or whatever it may be that it's the individual entities getting the loans and not the broader USTA company uh, because as you mentioned you have you know under 500 employees all of these different things these are all uh, interesting factors behind these loans and how they've impacted the business but I'm curious in your conversations uh, when you look at facilitating professional sports right now there are obviously going to be added costs particularly with you know the USDA they want to be and you can talk about it it's not just tennis the NBA coming back the MLB the NHL uh, there's advanced testing right they want to test all the players involved uh, in certain instances obviously the NBA is quarantining all of these players in Orlando the USTA the US Open plans to quarantine all of these players in New York have you talked to any of these uh, organizations yet about what and to call it a financial burden right now feels like a poor term because it's not a burden if you absolutely have to do it in order to you know in order to facilitate the return of the sport it's not a burden it's just a necessity um but ha- how have you know in your conversations how are these organizations planning to take that financial hit i suppose with all of the expenses of putting on a safe and health uh, a safe and healthy event right now do in your conversations have you heard from organizations that they anticipate that's going to be a problem, that the expenses are going to get to a point where it's almost, uh, you know, not worthwhile for them to host the event. I guess what I keep coming back to is, you know, being at the Top Seed Tennis Club in uh, Nicholasville in Kentucky, they're obviously going to get uh, the event that was planned for the City Open weekend for the WTA. And I know for them, that's something where, you know, I'm talking to yeah, I, I think I can say this on the record. I'm talking to John, and he says, look, we just we can't afford to think about those costs because more than anything else right now, without them, we can't put on the event. And I'm curious if that's the same sort of sentiment you've heard as well. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's probably a good way to put it. You, you can't sweat that because that is a – it's like a non-debatable. Yeah, <laughs> So exactly. it, it's just like – it's just like would you build a grandstand down in Atlanta or – you know, it's, it's just what you have to do. And so mm-hmm. – for some of the tournaments, I think there was the hope that they could offset some of those costs by the things they wouldn't have to do. So, for example, Winston-Salem or Atlanta, building a grandstand, building a stadium sure. that, that is usually temporary. Um, you know, you save money doing that, especially if you – the this is where uh, the key was enough advance notice. Uh, because, mm-hmm. for example, Charleston kind of got screwed on this because their tournament, the Volvo Car Open, was canceled so close to the event. Uh, mm-hmm. Bob Moran had – I told, I think it was in, I think he had told Chris Clary in the New York times that he had had, you know, they had like 40% of their 
grandstand built. That's the ultimate fail other than uh, Indian Wells, which was, you know, the night before and everything was ready to go. Um, <laughs> of course. Uh, you know, the, a lot of these stadiums, they add they add a lot of stuff for the tournament, you know, uh, tents and, and um, you know, uh, dining, like temporary dining halls and, and temporary things for the players and stuff. And so if you're far enough out where you can avoid uh, the construction of those or even getting into contracts for that sort of stuff, then, then that's great. But um, like, for example, Pete Holterman had told me with the uh, U S clay court championships in Houston, like they had to like kind of literally call the printing press and like scream into the phone, don't print the program, <laughs> you know, like yeah. uh, it, it's, it's some, you know, for some, it was, it was that, that uh, dire to try to save some money. Um, knowing that the can- the tournament was suddenly canceled. So that is like, a, but th- again, that's kind of like the world team tennis making up some revenue with the TV thing. It's it's hard to say how much that really helps. Um, and it's definitely not going to ups- offset the cost of what um, some people I've heard are calling it, like biosecurity, basically. <laughs> sure. um, it's, you know, it's making sure that your venue is secure from COVID like as much as you as you can. And so, and then if you get into the case of like the NBA, I mean, the bubble that they're maintaining is costing like over 150 million. And so that's something that you can um, equate in some way to the U.S. Open because um, some of that cost is like you have to rent out an entire resort. Uh, or I believe they're doing that in Kentucky for the top seed tennis open. Uh, mm-hmm. They've rented out an entire embassy suites. It's not mm-hmm. cheap, you know, and, and so for the NBA, that's part of their issue is the length of how long they're doing this. But even for a tennis tournament, uh, you know, that's a week or two weeks long. I mean, that's, that's a considerable expense, you know, especially the U S open is going to be doing that with the, uh, with the hotel at, um, JFK airport. So, uh, so it's just, um, it's kind of one of those things, like when you start making this list of new costs that are, uh, concerned with COVID mitigation, that list just like keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. I mean, down to, you know, rubber gloves, uh, you know the the thermometers that people um point at uh somebody else's head um yeah. you know any any testing you have to do i'm sure that's expensive you also have the uh the issue that mls and, and the nba are kind of dealing with right now you know with how easily they're getting their players tested and how difficult it is for normal people in florida to get tested and so you, you know you have that situation as well which i think uh, the U.S. Open is hope, you know, is probably hopeful that they can avoid some sort of spike in New York, so they don't at least ha- take that kind of uh, image hit. You know, it's sort of a bad, sort of bad look. Um, so I mean, it's it's a uh, it is considerable. I don't have I don't have like a range uh, of how much it costs or anything because it's it's so different from event it's to an event. event but, yep, yep. Yeah, and and it's obviously going to be a lot easier if you're doing it uh, without fans. Uh, as opposed to the world team tennis, which is, you know, having some fans, uh, you know, and there, there's, there's really only so much you can do with a waiver, you know, having a fan mm-hmm. sign a waiver, you can, you can still definitely end up in court, even if somebody signed a waiver. So uh, it's, it is, no, it, it's really a considerable thing. And I think that's why a lot of the uh, 250 and international level ATP and WTA tournaments were like, you know, let's just chalk this one up and give it a go next year. You know, because yeah, it's just, it's just, uh, it's like a snowball effect uh, financially. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and you know, I mentioned the top seed club, and 
Again, John Sanders and the team, friends of mine, feel like that's worth fully disclosing always whenever I talk about the event. I don't know. You know, ethically, I'm always unclear. I'm like, yeah, because I don't know if you know this, Brett. I consider myself a friendly guy. And so I'm talking to all of these people <laughs> at these tournaments. And, you know, for me, I, I can never uh, – separating the business and the personal relationships. I'm like, oh, well, we're friends now. So, uh, you know, I always feel bad because I'm never going to rip on John other than to say, you know, I wish he had a slightly more hair on the top of his head. But, you know, outside of Ooh. that – that you know that's a, that's a pain I can also resonate with. That's why we have so much in common. Uh, but the point being that yeah, I lost the thread there. The point being uh, that you know an international event like that, or uh, you know as you start to get up in scale, things like the U.S. Open or things like Cincinnati, which is a Masters and a Premier event. That's where you do a little cost, uh, cost whatever an analysis, and you start to look at it and you say, okay, these additional expenses are worthwhile for us because we are still going to make enough revenue to where it's worthwhile to spend this sort of money on ensuring that we can have this sort of event. It's as you mentioned, as you descend down the scale of the event, as you look at, you know, if you're a 125k WTA event or you're an ATP challenger or you know even lower a futures event or a 25k ITF event. It's just not feasible. It's going to cost you more than $25,000 in expenses to ensure that it's a safe environment, and that's even without fans. And by the way, challengers and futures were never swimming in money anyways in terms of the sort of revenue they generate. And so just right now, it seems almost financially impossible for those events to come back. And I know uh, you know, it was reported the ATP has also stepped up. They're providing travel insurance at no cost for all players, and they're doing it for a plus one as well, either the coach, the physio, whatever it may be. Uh, this applies not just for tour-level tour events, but for ATP Challenger tour-level events as well. Uh, but even with that sort of you know, stipend being offered. I just, for a tournament in 2020, as you mentioned, I just don't think it's financially feasible for them to say, you know what, it's worthwhile for us to come back in 2020. And I, I wouldn't be surprised, even though there's a scheduled return, and maybe the European events have a little bit more margin for error because it does look like some of them are going to try to have crowds. Some of them are, you know, certainly the French Open is going to try and do that. And again, uh, COVID-19 and it's, existence in Europe is vastly different right now than it is in the U.S., and we don't have to get into whether that's a good decision to have fans or not, but it does seem like we've reached that point where it's just become financially uh, not not feasible for these lower-scaled events to come back until there's more certainty surrounding, you know, what sort of protocols need to be in place to hold an event. Yeah, definitely, and, and so when I, I talked to Andrea Gaudenzi, the ATP chairman last month, one of the things he mentioned was the pandemic has shown that tennis needs to diversify its revenue stream uh, more than it currently is. And and so you mentioned kind of that, that really low number of money coming from TV uh, rights. And that's something that they want to try to increase. You really want to, if, if you had a, be hard to, to be anywhere near like the NFL or the NBA uh, TV wise for tennis, but you know, even if that number was up over like 30 or something, it, it would make it more feasible to have tournaments with no fans. Um, but right now tennis is so dependent on the in-person experience, whether that is for the fan, um, you know, for example, the U S open average U S open fan spends eight hours on site. You know, that's quite a, that's uh, quite a different experience to most other sports. That's, you know, more akin to a festival or a concert. And so they're, 
um, definitely spending considerable money while they're there, let alone parking and things like that. Um, well, maybe for the U.S. Open, they may, maybe they took the train, but um, <laughs> you know, for a lot of events, I mean, the people are on site for a long time. They're spending a lot of money. They're an affluent group of people, so they're having no problem spending money. Um, and then, you know, you you um, you also have the sponsor side of it, which has been hit this year and is negotiation of a lot of deals because you know so much of tennis sponsorship is uh, hospitality based and in-person based um it was the uh, president of bnp paribas for north america for the americas told me that uh during the two weeks of indian wells they host over two thousand clients at that tournament so they're doing a lot of business and uh whining and dining and impressing people at these events and uh, far, far less of their sponsorship, uh, um, revolves around, you know, getting a uh, placement on TV, you know, so that's, that's something that I think tennis will want to look at going forward, like, uh, you know, which, which gets back to sort of the, I hate to use the word merger, but it's much easier to use than, uh, the alternative, which is, uh, collaborate acquisition. On, uh, yeah. No, not acquisition. The, the alternative, uh, is just wordier. It's, um, uh, you know, a collaboration on uh, commercial fan-facing uh, <laughs> undertakings. That doesn't yeah. roll off the tongue like as easy. As you say, let's call it merger. I agree. <laughs> mergers is easier. I do it in quotes. So, um, but that that is you know something that I think uh, will have a lot of juice coming out of this year because both uh, both tours are going to take big hits, especially if they can't have their year-end uh, finals, which are money spinners. For both of them, especially the WTA, uh, which there's looks most in danger right now uh, in Shenzhen. Um, and so I, I think there will be a big um, focus on uh, those two working together more closely and, in, in, uh, you know, on the, on the fan facing aspects of their tours, which is, you know, social media websites, um, sponsorship marketing. And then the, the big one would be broadcasting. And that, that's not going to happen right away. But that is something that if they could get better TV deals that will strengthen them in the future for if something crazy like this happens again. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you and it's taken the back seat and you know, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but real quickly, I, and I know you went on Chris Otto's pod, uh, you know, the fan child and you know, we, we'll, we'll have a conversation off mic on why I want to have your exclusive rights moving forward. I don't know if I have, the, <laughs> the uh, I don't know if I have the cash yet to, uh, to purchase those rights, but we'll talk about that <laughs> afterwards. Anyways, uh, if you were to give a synopsis, because so much has happened, as I mentioned throughout the tennis world, and there are so many different issues confronting our sport. Um, but one of the big stories early on through this pandemic was the emergence of WTA ATP merger talks. Have those been put to, you know, the back shelf, the back of the fence. We'll worry about that afterwards once we get tennis back normal, or do you think there's still momentum building and that if anything, you know, maybe this pandemic has showed that financially uh, it might almost be, I hate to keep coming back to this word, but a necessity for these two tours to merge, to have shared interests in, you know, professional tennis moving forward. You know, what what are the state of merger talks, I suppose? Yeah, I would I would say the need is what is increasing now. Their ability to deal with it right now is limited, you know, for mm-hmm. obvious reasons. But um, and let me expl- clarify the merger thing one more time. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's what Godenzi told me and um, Mickey Lawler explained this as well. Was don't expect like a merger 
for them to operate under the same thing with the same rules with you know more combined tournaments and, and things like that don't don't really expect that at least in the near term neither side ruled it out but it's not their near-term goal near-term goal would be collaborating more on on uh aspects of pro tennis that impact the fan and so like i said that's going to be like social media uh may potentially having atp and wta on one website um you know more sponsorship and marketing opportunities that involve the men and the women which is you can anybody who you know has ever had a dollar in their pocket can understand why that would make a lot of money um and then the big ones are like data rights you know pooling data rights together and selling those to for example like a company that that then sells them to you know espn or websites you know i mean that that is like there's big money in that uh and then the biggest of all and the most complicated would be pooling broadcast rights and so there's a ton of different ways you could do that uh but essentially you would have all the pro all the pro tennis aside from the grand slams in one uh package uh which the thinking is that would make it more desirable for the market um, and, and they would be competing against each other less, um, would also make it more accessible for the fan, which speaks to a great quote that Godenzi gave me, which was he wants the tennis fan to have a single sign-on experience. And he meant that literally and figuratively. So kind of easier access to, to tennis, um, you know, especially TV-wise. Tennis is a sport that struggles with TV because it just doesn't naturally fit as easily. Uh, as other as other things and so he he kind of wants this um you know they they maybe would have a joint social media account and a joint website and you know easier to find tv uh situations so so these are these are the things that they are pursuing more soon than a full merger when you get into the full merger you start talking about um equal pay and and things like that and while i think the equal pay thing is overblown there are a lot of people that can't even get there mentally, you know, now that, that, that seems to be less of the case now, especially when you have the backing of like Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal. Um, but you're still going to have people that don't really like understand the equal pay debate and are just men that are just vehemently opposed to being paid the same as the women, um, whether it's right or wrong, they're just not going to get there mentally. So, they can avoid that really muddy argument or push it down the road and do some of these easier things, um, you know, in the next few years, which can really help them with, um, you know, generating more revenue at a time when they're really going to need it. Uh, and another thing that they both, um, that both sides mentioned was, you know, the ability to combine these departments between the two tours, which is going to create redundancies, which allow them to, um, downsize uh staffs and so they won't you know like a great quote that i got from uh tennis canada ceo uh, michael downey he said it would be ridiculous if both sides were working on covid mitigation plans at the same time you know that's something that they should be doing together that they should be paying the same company you know splitting the cost uh paying the same consultant you know and and then having the same plan that works for both sides you know and so um, that was, I thought that was a really good example of the, the kind of stuff that they need to be doing together that would save them money, uh, would create more uniformity in the sport, and is really just kind of like all around smarter. 
So I think those are the things that um, you're going to have to, some of them will be very out front, you know, impossible to miss, you know, especially if they suddenly have the same social media or the same website. Um, but other other aspects of it, I think, will be more in the background, you know, especially if uh, they have layoffs and combined departments and things like that. But how you go about that is a very interesting question. I don't know if you have to have like a formal agreement or, or some sort of and this is where you get back to merger. Like, mm-hmm. is that the right term? Like, uh, you know, is there like is it an integration or what? And that nobody had a solid answer for that. But that's that's something that probably have to figure out. Like, are we doing this very formally or is it going to be kind of informally or or what? I, th- I think the business on both sides are too big for, you know, a handshake or something like that. So <laughs> so they'll have to they'll have to figure out how to how to make that happen. No. And and again, to get back to something you said at the beginning, uh, privacy rights, data sharing, whether that's acceptable or not. I think that's a podcast for another time. So we'll save that topic. But yeah, that that is the tricky stuff. And this idea of because, again, it's that we have two separate websites that you have to go to WTA.com. They have to go to ATP.com, that they're not the same format, that there's, you know, it's really hard to find historical things. And thankfully, there are non ATP WTA entities such as tennisabstract.com or whatever as a tennis fan you can go to to find you know a unified accumulation of stats but mm-hmm. we've talked about it before that there are so many competing interests in tennis makes it that much more difficult of a sport to follow and so uh, you know, again, it, it, it's a big storyline. There are many far-reaching implications. We've talked about it at length with multiple guests. I appreciate you giving us the update on where we're at and, again, the financial incentives that are becoming more and more clear uh, for these tournaments to do it and, of course, what that would look like. And, again, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So last two questions for you, I promise. Uh, Wimbledon, uh, you know, the – Sorry for using this phase, but, you know, they they put it all on the table, right? They're like, hey, you guys think you guys have it financially poor? Well, guess what? We're going to show off how financially solid we are again, and we're going to dish out prize money to all of the players. Ten, tw- uh, I think it's 12,500 euros to those who would have been in qualifying, 25,000 euros to main draw players, and uh, I guess – you know, to see Wimbledon take advantage or take advantage of the moment—that's not the way I want to say this, because that was a joke, by the way. The the fact that they did this—it's such an admirable cause. It shows again the financial disparities between the slams, who you know financially they're going to be fine even with a year off. That's how much money they're ge- uh, generating revenue-wise versus everyone else. I just feel like that's accentuated once again, and it's a, a huge credit to Wimbledon uh, for doing this, for saying, "Yeah, you know what? We can afford to help out as many players as possible." From throughout the tennis world but i feel like that little factoid did expose once again how much better the events the entities at the top have it than everywhere else throughout the tennis world yeah i mean it's the oldest tennis tournament in the world as well so um you know they've got <laughs> they've been hopefully they've been saving for a long time but no i think they, they come away as like one of the business uh stars of 2020 because you know of course they had the the reason they were able to pay the players was because they had the successful insurance claim uh, mm-hmm. which they purchased communicable disease coverage uh, in 2003 after SARS, uh, which nobody else even remembers. Uh, and they have paid around $2 million bucks a year for 17 years, uh, a total of about $34 million, and put in a claim that I've seen. I think the, the, the figure I landed on was like uh, 140-something million bucks, but I've seen like some different, some different totals. But um, either way, I mean, uh, you know, offset – I think they normally make uh, something like 300 million in revenue uh, for tournament for tournament. So, 
you know, I mean, Haft is good this year. So, um, and, and it enabled them to, um, do what they did, which was really, you know, I think a great, um, gesture to the players, a really great PR move, you know, makes them look good. Um, and you know, if, um, could be another event that, that didn't spend as much money as it normally would. I'm sure the expense, uh, think about the amount of people on site for Wimbledon that are working. Um, so they, they quite likely saved a lot of money, you know, by not having the tournament. And so that 140 uh, really could, could um, you think of it being about half of the revenue they made? It, it could be a lot more of, of what they needed this year, you know, a much higher percentage. So, no, I think they're like uh, business business star of the year. I'm going to give them I'm going to give them that award award yeah. this uh, this pandemic ridden 2020. <laughs> no, we've been saying it for thousands of years now, but God save the queen. Uh, she's obviously yeah. aware of what she's doing, and so <laughs> yeah, a huge shout out. I agree. Wimbledon certainly comes out uh, looking like they have their stuff together, at least from their business perspective. Now, so my final question to you, Brett, uh, because obviously appreciate you taking the time, and we we've kind of hit across the spectrum here. But there was something reported from uh, the Ultimate Tennis Showdown, Patrick Mortelou's event, and I'm curious if you've heard anything about it. I read, and I think this was from at Tennis Banter, which is Adam Atticott who said organizers say uh, 50% of the fan base had never watched tennis before and that the average age was 30. Uh, they said that they found this information by using the tools at their, uh, looking at their social media followers and a questionnaire they sent out to a majority of the subscribers to your website, uh, to their website, to their stream. Curious what you've heard about the Ultimate Tennis Showdown. Curious, I, guess, I suppose, your thoughts of it as a fan as well. But do you think that UTS, and certainly uh, given when it was held, uh, it had an opportunity to shine through in a way it probably might not normally. Uh, but curious what you've heard about UTS and the reception of it, at least business-wise, from the tennis community. Uh, I'm not. I've not really heard much reception of it. I, honestly, like I focus more on the U.S. side, which for tennis mm-hmm. is kind of you know limits what you deal with. But uh, and I, I mean, no offense to them, but I, you know, those numbers don't really mean much to me because. Um, they're pretty wishy-washy. I mean, the sources are are uh, are uh, not. Yeah, not it would be airtight. like asking, it would be like asking me, and I came out and said, "Yeah, I'm 215 pounds of pure muscle." Like that's yeah, exactly right. what I am. Yeah, so I agree. It was more just you know along the lines of sets because I feel like a if the average age of the viewer was 30, that would be something the entire tennis community would be like, "What? Like really?" Because that yeah. that would be a that would be a news item, wouldn't it? Yeah, and also their credibility is dinged a bit by uh, <laughs> what Laura Tolu was uh, trotting out the um, the sixty year old average fan number, which came actually yeah. from Sports Business Daily, which is our you know which is us um, mm-hmm. from twenty eighteen, and it was uh, it was a I think it was a study that was looking at TV viewing, and so it wasn't the average tennis fan, and it, it, it kind of they kind of bastardized that statistic. Mm-hmm. Um, so that said though, I like him and I think his idea was great. And I, I liked, I thought it was interesting and kind of cool. I didn't watch a lot of it. It wasn't easily accessible and I, I never got a login or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I thought it was cool. I think it removes some of the stodginess um, from tennis, you know, which like at a place like Wimbledon, you like that, but then, most other places it's like you know come on who are we kidding uh and so i liked that uh 
people got into arguments with um Sitsipas's dad and like you know how how tight the confines were i honestly kind of think uts works really well with with barely anybody there you know or or like everybody is there like it's um some underground you know karate fighting league or something you know kind of like standing all above them you know i i think with a crowd you would uh, if, if that was in a big venue i think you would lose some of the what was cool about it you know them supposed to be talking back and forth to each other and, and um the cards were the cards were like an idea i think could be improved they were sort of silly how they did them but but then like i kind of like the idea though of just all of a sudden there being like this sort of video game you know wild card aspect of it uh so overall for uh and then also another another thought is um I've been playing, I hit with my cousin um, and we've been using their timed scoring just because it's easier. Uh, so we'll, we'll put 10 minutes on the phone and just play, you know, one, one point uh, points. And so that, that was kind of funny to me. Like, I actually like that. I mean, I, you know, I, I like playing the other way as well, the traditional way, but um, just for hitting with my cousin, you know, when we play for like an hour or something, it's like a pretty good way to keep score. So um, I really liked what they did, but I'm also not like a, I'm definitely not a purist for tennis. You know, I'm not, I'm not a, not a uh, wed to the tradition or anything. Um, and so I can understand there's probably a lot of people that were uh, put off by it, but you know, I, I, I give him the complete credit for trying to do something different. I mean, I think some of the exhibitions sort of, dip their toes into doing different things um he he uh you know ripped his shirt off and went running into the waves and you know belly flopped into him so um i, th- I think that deserves a lot of credit for trying to switch things up it'd be interesting to see if any of that gets adapted you know i think the entity that should have been paying the most attention was world team tennis because i think they could uh most easily um use some of those um clever and weird and wacky rules that uh the ultimate tennis showdown used i would watch no. i would watch it again let's put it that way if they did it next year i would watch it again yeah no i i completely agree with you there um it, it was certainly fun i you know again to your larger point some of the numbers though just seemed a little bit funky and so yeah, know, yeah, I, yeah. I was curious for uh what you were going to say as well but again brett i have taken up enough of your time so for all of our fans out there who are curious where they can read more of, for, of your work follow all of these storylines because you guys really are up on all uh, of the business elements of the tennis world where can they find all of your work yeah at Brett just one T on Twitter. So B R E T J U S T one T. So um, that's where most of my stuff is. We a lot of our stories are behind a paywall, but we we um, put some stories in front of the paywall once in a while, and uh, those are clearly indicated when I tweet them. So uh, yeah, would appreciate the follows though, and, and thanks for having me on. I always enjoy talking about this stuff. This is uh, you know business. Uh, the business side of sports has been really front and center this year and so it's you know good that uh you have a publication like us that knows what we're talking about i guess as as other sports reporters try to you know come into the business world yeah no of course again all i ask is next time you're going to go on the fan child just give me the heads up beforehand so we don't double book 
Um, no, of course, <laughs> I'm completely kidding there. No uh, and and by the way, Chris, a friend, so you know, do what you got to do. But again, Brett, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, wishing you and your entire family, of course, continued safety and health. And as always, know that there's always a spot open for you on our show. Yeah. Thanks again. Yeah, of course. Take care, Brett. All right. See you. Next. And we're. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Sports Business Journal's Brett McCormick, of course. I think there are few, if any, people throughout uh, the tennis media landscape more plugged into the financial implications to the business side of the tennis world than Brett. And so, you know, I joked around with him there, but we are always appreciative when he takes the time to come chat with our Cracked Rackets team. And, you know, be sure to follow him on uh, Twitter. Be sure to follow all of the work he and the team at the Sports Business Journal are doing because it's really exceptional content. You're not going to find people with a better grasp, again, of all the intricacies of the business of sports than that sports business journal team. So a huge shout out to Brett and, you know, thank you again. He knows that he's got a spot open on this podcast whenever uh, he feels the need or he would has the desire to come on the show. So again, huge shout out to him. Of course, we've had so many great guests here on our Crack Records podcast over the past couple of weeks, months, years even. But in particular, all of you should be on the lookout for the conversations we had in Miami and Nicholasville over the past two weeks, I think, when we were gone for the two ATP and WTA exhibition events. Of course, I think, as I've mentioned, we talked to 14 of the 16 players in the field, players like Tennis Sandgren, Sam Query, uh, Riley Opelka, Jeannie Bouchard, CeCe Bellis, Shelby Rogers, and more. Of course, you're going to be able to hear all of those interviews in podcast form on the Cracked Interviews podcast, but if you want to see these players' smiling face, you want to see my smiling face, you want to see the body language, how we connect, you know, what it's like to be doing those interviews on site. You can find all of them on our YouTube channel. Go hit that subscribe button now so you get a little notification whenever a new interview drops. And of course, super producer Daniel Westoff has, again, like 140 to 160 minutes of interview uh, of video content to sift through, to edit, to make sense of. And so, uh, again, to ensure that you don't miss any of that coverage, just go right now. Go hit that subscribe button. You'll get that notification. And then you don't have to worry about it anymore. I should also say, again, you'll hear all of those in Cracked interviews form in the podcast as well so be on the lookout for all of that Uh, be on the lookout for more world team tennis coverage by the way in the future we're going to get Mark Lucero back on the show again early next week we also had the chance to talk to Kristen Gear. Uh, CEO of Bleacher and, of course, owner of the Tennis One app. The Tennis One app, the exclusive app partner uh, for this World Team Tennis season, the official app, I should say, the exclusive app partner, the official app of the of the World Team Tennis season. And of course, I will be doing some coverage for them on the Tennis One app. So if that's something you are interested in, just go download that app now. And of course, if you have missed any of our content, be sure to go to our website, CrackedRackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, the Inside Out Podcast. As I mentioned at the top of this podcast, should you want to reach out to us or you need more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or at Cracked Rackets, you want to message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. A shout out, as always, to our support we get here at Cracked Rackets from our super producers, Max Fleekner and Daniel Westoff, who have a fuck. <laughs> 
of an editing job to do day in, day out. Very easy. Again, I mentioned that 160. Imagine having to stare at my face and hear this voice for 160 minutes. Then also keep in mind that in those moments you're taking a break from the computer screen or when something's loading and it's in the queue and you just can't work any longer, uh, that you would exit your room. You would come out of your little office space and, again, see our headquarters as one house, and you come out of your room. And then I'm your roommate too. So, you know, shout out to Daniel Westoff, whose tolerance for me must always be on the edge, but he always manages to put up with me and usually does it with a smile as well. So shout out to him and super producer Max Fliegner. But with that being said, again, for, oh, I also have to give a huge shout out to our friends, of course, at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15. Go to AeroBar.com. Use that promo code CRACKED15. And of course, don't miss any of our Getting to the Point episodes every Thursday here on the Mini Break Podcast. This week's guest, Princeton men's tennis head coach Billy Pate, joining the show. But with that being said, for our wonderful guests today, Sports Business Journal's Brent McCormick, our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.